Well, one la- one thing about the 24-7 prayer thing we've been doing for... If you've been around here, for, how many of you guys have participated in a 24-7 prayer week? A lot of us have. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell my wife, she's like, why can't I just pray at home? Um, I'm like, we've been doing this for 20 years. I'll, re- I'll remind us why. You could pray at home. You could. But there's something crazy that happens when you come to the space that all your friends and even people you didn't know had been praying in. There's something that happens to your flesh when you have to set an alarm and show up. And the sheer craziness of it, the sheer I'm hanging myself out there, is God actually going to be with me, does something. I'm just telling you, we've been doing it for 20, 20 plus years and seeing that, that God made the earth. Jesus' incarnation says he loves space, he loves time, he loves the earth. And so he likes to meet with us in places, which is why we come together at a place to be together. And so that's really the, 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 the 24-7 prayer movement, was, it was kind of an accident. We just uh, heard about this group in uh, Germany, Herrenhut, Germany. Uh, these guys that called the Moravians, they couldn't get along with one another. They're, uh, you know, on this guy's land named Count Zinzendorf. He's like, man, you guys are supposed to be Christians. Let's just start praying. And they started praying every hour of the day at a place there on that estate. And it was a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. And it became the most powerful mission-sending movement. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, came to know Jesus in a personal way through the Moravians. And these guys were so crazy, some of them would sell themselves into slavery to be able to reach places they couldn't get any other way. And so something happens when we, when we stretch ourselves into prayer in a different way that awakens us. It's not that it awakens God. God's never sleepy. Psalm 121, he's not sleeping. He's always watching over us. But there's something about getting out of a routine, challenging ourselves to say, is it really worth making this effort to drive all the way over here to pray and, and feeling like, I don't even know if I believe in God. That's the best time to pray. It's awesome. Okay, that's that. Um, thanks, Kelly, for the reminder. Sort of. All right, I'm going to do something nobody's anticipating. Mike and Rada Eddins, can you stand up? I didn't tell anybody I was doing this. So about a week and a half ago, they celebrated 30 years of marriage. John, John and Cam Loyokin, can you stand up? So about a week and a half ago, they celebrated 50 years of marriage. And Ed and Vivian Long, could you guys stand up? Last week, they celebrated 60 years of marriage. Now, my need for evenness is killing me. Has anybody been married, anybody been married 40 years? Stand up right now if you've been married 40 years. Go. Stand up right now. Heck yeah. There we go. There we go. Okay. That's crazy. I didn't think anybody would stand up when I, I was just sitting there thinking, how do I work this thing out? I just thought it was cool, like, because Mike and Ronna got, were married 30 years. Man, that's amazing. And then Ed and Vivian came up. We've been married 60. I mean, twice as long. That's crazy. But just thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to lay down your lives for Jesus and each other. Because it ain't easy to do all that. <laughs> uh, so, last week, um, I spoke about what life do I want? You know, it's, it seems apropos for the beginning of a year. We reflect and gave you a little tool for, for um, this kind of reflection. But, but basically, the argument went this way last week, was that God has designed me to live the life I want. You're like, well, okay, that doesn't sound quite right. I'm not sure if I'm living the life I want. Here's what I mean by that. God has designed us to live from our hearts, from our wanter. 
Have you noticed that it's easier to do something you want to do than something you don't want to do? We're designed to want. And, and, and there's something about us that, that, that makes it energizing, enlivening when we can do what we want. In fact, I might argue that we all do what we want. Because even when we're doing something we don't want to do, it's because we want something else more. Right? So tomorrow morning, you might not like your job, but you're going because even though I don't want to go to that job, I do want to eat. That desire is stronger than my desire not to be in that cubicle once more time, you know. So God has designed us to live the life we want. The challenge is is that we can't live the lives we want. And the reason is because our desires are broken. We looked at Ephesians 4, 17 through 23, where it says that, that because of sin, we are being corrupted by deceitful desires. There's desires that promise something that looks like life uh, in, in progress and flourishing, but it's not true. In fact, and so that we saw in Ephesians 4, 17 through 23, that left to our own, our desires lead us into futility and death. That's the best we can do on our own. But Paul says, but when you met Jesus, that's not the way he, 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 he designed your life. That's not what he's given you. That through Jesus, I can live the life I want. And the way he does that is transforming our desires. And so Paul tells us the way. How do we live this out? We put off our old wants. We put them off like we're taking off a coat. And then we put on new wants that Jesus is giving to us that are actually leading to life. That makes sense? So, that, so if you weren't there last week, it's, it might be good to, to listen to because it, it's pretty deep stuff in terms of if you take it seriously, it'll mess with you. And so what I'm going to do this week is actually go a little bit deeper on the same question about what life do I want? And, and ask, ask another question is, okay, what do I really want? And here's what I mean by that. If you think about the life that I want, it, it's got a lot of stuff going on, right? I've just grabbed stuff that might be things that we want, and it, and, and and it gets complicated. And 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 and, and I, what I wonder is, in fact, I don't know if you guys remember. About ten years ago, I did a sermon on um, if I could imagine how many how much time I have, and I did everything I wanted to do. How much time would each thing take? And I got down to where I realized I could spend like point three hours per week with friends, you know, and it was just absolutely outrageous. It was just not a feasible life at all. So the question I'm trying to ask is, is there, is there a want behind the want? Is there kind of some central thing that can organize and give coherence and some level of simplicity, knowing that these are all good wants, whatever, you know, that healthy life, healthy relationships, healthy family, that Jesus does want to give me those things. But how do I make sense of that? And, and so another way to pose this question is, is it the life I want or is it the source of the life I want? Is it just that I have a, a life I want or is it the source of the life I want? And, and I'm going to argue that Jesus himself is actually the center of our desire. That, that Jesus, the person himself, in fact, the question goes away from more abstract values and things to a person. Who do I want? And that makes a lot of sense. If you, you talk about wants and desires being ultimately love, we love, we're made to love people more than things. So, so I'm going to give you just two reasons. <laughs> there are more than two. <laughs> Why I believe when it comes down to it, Jesus is all we want. These other things are good, but Jesus is the central desire that trumps everything else, organizes everything else. Ready for that? Lord Jesus, only you can convince us of this. And only by having a vision of you can we actually believe this to be true. That, Lord, this isn't just the party line for religion or Christianity, but that you are so irresistibly beautiful that once we see you, we can't be satisfied with anyone else. 
So Jesus, I ask you to do what you want to do all along, is reveal yourself to us and open that door so we can see the Father by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, first reason has to do with the deepest questions of the human heart. Um, Philosophers have argued about what these deep questions are. I've kind of simplified it down to the first one is who is God? In, In the world of philosophy or worldview, you could say, what is reality? But because I believe God exists, I'm just going to cut to the chase. It's say, who is God? And the other one is, who am I? And, and, and also worldview and philosophy would say these questions are, uh, uh, is what does it mean to be a, a flourishing human? What, what is the good? How do I become a truly good person? That Those kind of questions are typically part of a worldview question. But to me, you can do it pretty simply, just... The deepest questions is, who is God and who am I? And who is God, you know, the the bottom line is everyone is living out of a vision of God, even if you don't believe there is one, because that's your vision of God. So you have this sense of there's no God doing anything. I can do whatever I want. Notice I I can do whatever I want. That's giving me a view of the world and a way of living based on what I believe God is like. And Jesus, friends, answers the question, who is God? And I'm just going to give you a few scriptures that are hopefully familiar, but this is so important for us to see what the intent of God is with Jesus becoming human. It says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, God's Word Himself, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So the disciples, John, could say, we've seen Him. We've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's the fascinating thing. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. In other words, and Jesus said it this way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you're wondering what God is like, look at Jesus. If you're wondering what he's like, you're confused of what God is like, look at this person, Jesus, who in time and history actually acted and did things that was among people, revealing what God is like. Paul said it this way, that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all all creation. Paul also says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the brilliance, we talked last year a lot about the glory of God, the brilliance and overwhelming uh, light and intelligence and wonder of God is seen in the face of Jesus. Whoa. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping, and the Lord's helping us get beyond, like, oh, that's, that's cute, to freaking you out, man. This is overwhelming stuff. So that when John has a vision of Jesus in Revelation 1, he sees Jesus and his natural response is to pass out. Because he's so beautiful and overwhelming. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The idea of like if you're looking at the sun, S-U-N, that the flames coming off of, that's Jesus. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If we're wondering what God is like, look at Jesus. This is a fascinating passage here. It says, Jesus, Paul says, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Another way of saying it is, is Jesus himself makes sense of everything. He orders everything. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and 
through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus in his person and his work is literally making sense of the world. Paul said it more succinctly in Ephesians. God made known to us, the Father made known to us the mystery of his will to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's why I think Jesus is the unifying force to make sense of all these even good desires. Because in Jesus, in his person, it's the one thing that it's the key to unlock everything that, oh, it makes sense now. And he's bringing order to it now. Following me? Okay. So these deep questions of the human heart, Jesus answers this one, who is God? So what about who am I? Well, (laughs) the first thing we see, this is fascinating, that all things, that includes you and me, have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. All things, including you and me, have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Hebrews says it this way, God spoke to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is inheriting everything. The way I like to think of it is all of creation, including you and me, are God's love gift to Jesus. The Father loves the Son so much that that He's like, i got to share this with someone else and give it to you. So that's one of the fundamental things about us. We're a gift to Jesus. That's why Jesus is at the center of defining who we are. Has anybody heard that John Mark Pantera song? I was made for Jesus. It's very biblical. We were made for Jesus. We know at the beginning of the scriptures that we were made in the image of God as humans with this ability to be actually to reflect the glory, which is the beauty and intelligence and wonder of God in stewarding the earth. But that, that got broken. All of sin and fallen short of this glory that we were meant to embody and declare through our being. But here's the beautiful thing. Talking about Jesus, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Eugene Peterson gives us an easier way to understand what that means. He said God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. In other words, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And here's the beautiful sentence. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. If you want to know what it looks like for you to live your full potential, it looks like Jesus. What humanity was meant to be. Humanity at its most flourishing is this person, Jesus. So not only does Jesus tell us who God is, God is, he tells us who we are. We see the picture, the original intended shape of our lives there in Jesus. The even more beautiful thing is, is Paul saying, if we stare at Jesus, we who with unfailed faces contemplate Jesus' glory, We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That by looking at Jesus, we start to become who we're meant to be. Like the gaze transforms us. The sight of Jesus transforms us into our intended shape. And what's so beautiful is we ask these questions, what what does it mean to be a, a flourishing human? Well, Paul says we're God's handiwork created in Christ in this transformative thing to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That, that the, the desire to do flourishing things to create is from God himself, but he's the one who knows what we're for. He's the one who's made us and he knows what to bring out of us because he's already planned it in advance for us to walk in. It's very, very beautiful. And here's what's even crazier, that Paul says 
that not just as individuals do we see what we are, but corporately, what it means, what the social vision, what it means to be people, plural, is in Christ. The body of Christ uh, is being built up to all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that somehow, when we're doing well together and flourishing, it looks like Jesus himself. Corporately. And, and it makes sense. So if we're all imitating Jesus and becoming our, 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 our intended selves through God, through, through his transforming spirit, we start to interact in ways that look like Jesus breathing and living on the earth. So, Jesus answers the deepest questions in the human heart. Who is God and who am I? So that's the first reason that I think Jesus is who we really want. He satisfies the human heart. That place of desire. That place of, uh, you you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I want that. I tell you, you know, sometimes I'm old enough now that I feel less of those. uh, You know, maybe less energy. But I had this deal yesterday um, where my daughter, she was out for a walk. And she's like, I think this guy in a car is kind of following me around. And I was like, oh, really? I felt it. Uh. And I'm not kidding you. I followed that car around the neighborhood walking around because I wanted to see this guy. I took pictures of him so you could see I was taking pictures. I don't know what he was doing. But I'm just telling you, that's a... Uh. And my desire, I don't, you mess with my daughter. My sons will, they'll do okay. You know, they, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. But you mess with my daughter, something comes over me out of my heart, my gut. You, you know what I'm saying? It's the, we've got that there. God's designed us to live from that place. And we see that Jesus satisfies the human mm, heart. Now, here's something else I want to note that the second reason I want to present today that why Jesus is what, who we really want. And I'm going to read uh, just this little account of Jesus' life being baptized. So it says, so uh, Mark writes, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There's something I want to notice. Here we see Father, Son, and Spirit, right? The voice, the Father, Speaking to the Son, the Spirit coming. The Father is this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a trinity of persons. But here's what I want to notice is just simply this sentence. That the first thing we see God saying with his own voice, with Jesus on the earth is, I love this guy. Jesus, this declaration, his identification... Many theologians would say this is when Jesus is identified as God's agent, the Messiah on earth. And what is the first thing Father says? He, he's powerful. He performs well. Jesus hadn't done a thing yet in ministry. His first thing he says is, I love this guy. He delights my heart. And we see the Father's disposition like this throughout the New Testament. Jesus said this way in his, in his high priestly prayers, prayer just before he went to the cross. In John 17, he says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. He's talking about us. The glory you've given me, why? Because you loved me before the creation 
of the world. Think about this. For eternity past, which you and I cannot figure this out, God who has no beginning, God who has no beginning, for eternity has been loving, the Father has been loving the Son. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. God, the Father wasn't like, well, Jesus, go do it. I guess I have to let somebody do this, but I'm really the one behind the show here. I'm pleased for all my fullness to dwell in my son. Jesus said the father loves the son and shows him all he does. The father loves the son's placed everything in his hands. And in fact, as I already said, all of creation is the father's gift to Jesus. All things have been created through him and for him. So here's the thing I want to say is, who do I really want? Why do I know it's Jesus? It's because he satisfies the human heart, but this will blow your mind. It's because he satisfies the Father's heart. Just think about that for a minute. The source of all desire, the source of all wanting. Could there be any stronger force than the desire of God? And he finds full satisfaction in Jesus. What is that? Another thing I could say is, well, if he's enough for God, maybe it'd be enough for me too. So, how do we live this out? How do we live? If it's true that Jesus himself is my deepest and truest desire, how do we live this out? Well, it's like we talked about last week. We put off old desires and put on new. And, and before we go further on that, I actually want to invite my dear friend, Elizabeth Freeland, come up, give us a little testimony. So how many of you guys know Elizabeth? Okay. So, so not everybody does. So, Elizabeth, give us some of the background of your journey that will help make sense of the most recent stuff going down. Yeah. So I'm going to have to sum up about seven years of my life in a couple minutes. So it's going to be intense. Just bear with me. Um, I was first diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a blood cancer. When I was 12 years old, um, I went through three months of chemo and nine weeks of radiation went on a -a make-a-wish trip and was good to go Um, and then in 2017 I was working at a summer camp called Shepherd's Fold Ranch and I started developing these symptoms where like this cough like short of breath and stuff in 2018 they found a lime-sized tumor cutting off 70% of my airway Um, and I was like dang that's why I couldn't breathe Um, And so I went through various chemotherapies, immunotherapies, went back to work at camp that summer while doing chemo. It was awesome. Um, And then that fall, I started developing a pain in my hip. And I was working at a coffee shop, so I was working these like eight hour shifts and I would be walking with like a significant limp. And my doctors were like, you have avascular necrosis? Because of the steroids and chemotherapy, all of that we've given to you, it's eating away at your joints. And I was like, cool. Um, And so my right hip had actually collapsed. um, And I was just walking on a broken hip, basically. Um, And it eventually spread into my other hip and my shoulders as well. Um, And so for years, I was just kind of walking. I was wheelchair-bound for a couple years, but I was just in a lot of pain. Um, but the following summer, they were like, listen, it's back. We got to do something. And I was like, well, I don't like the options that you're giving me, but I'll go do this clinical trial in Bethesda, Maryland, and we'll just see what happens. So I go there, they do rigorous testing and they don't realize I have this underlying condition where like some of these levels in my body weren't right. And so the... The therapy that they gave me actually 
cause a lot of havoc in my body um, to where I was in a lot of inflammation. My blood pressure was going crazy and they were just like, we don't know what's happening. Um, but it actually made it worse and like you need to go home and make arrangements. And I was like, what the heck? So I go home. How, in, how old were you about this time? Uh, this was in 2019. Okay. I think, yeah. So 20, 2019. Two, 23, 22. 22 yeah. um, and so I go home. I'm like, pretty beaten up. I'm wheelchair bound, um, just not, not doing well. Get an infection, go to the hospital, have a dream about basically dying. Like I'd see my uncle and my grandpa, they're at a table. They're like, do you want to join me? I'm like, that sounds awesome. Um, but the Lord had other, other plans for me. So I woke up the next day, they discharged me from the hospital. They were like, we don't know how, what happened, but you're fine. Um, so I go home. Well, let's pause for a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was kind of a big deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was, um, I was just, it was like the middle of the night. I was, um, like in and out of consciousness and my mom was with me and she was kind of at my bedside. And I like, at one point I like woke up and was like, are we, are we going yet? And then passed back out. And then the next morning I woke up and they were like, I, I think you're fine. Like you okay. can go home. That's significant. Okay. Yeah. yeah all is. right. You just were going kind of fast. It was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and so then for the next couple months, they gave me some more chemo, just kind of, um, yeah, filled me up with a lot of really toxic drugs. Um, and then the following summer, they were like, hey, you're strong enough, let's do a stem cell transplant. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so a stem cell transplant is basically where they take, um, they give you this chemotherapy that wipes your entire body um, out. And so to the point where you're, you have to get your baby vaccines again because your whole body is just like flushed. Then they re-give you stem cells and you build yourself back up. So this is my 2020. I get a stem cell transplant and then I get both of my hips replaced. Um, and it, it was pretty chaotic. Um, there was just like a lot going on in the world, obviously, and I was like very immunocompromised and so that was pretty intense. Um, and then they were just like, hey, after this stem cell transplant, you have to continue doing chemo for like a year. And I was just like, that just doesn't sound right. Um, and so that kind of began the journey of just like, hey, like talking to my doctors and just being like, hey, this is, we've been through a lot. Like we've had a lot of uh, chemotherapy. We've had a lot of, you know, drugs and everything. It's just, but it's not really working. Like what are my other options? Um, and then the following summer, oh no, the next year, then I got my shoulder replaced. Um, and then after that, um, I just, I tried to get back to life as normal. So I got a job again. I was living with my roommates. Um, and yeah, so I was just trying to like integrate myself back into normal life. Okay. And so that was then, then some point you hit a wall, right? You hit kind of like a, uh oh moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so then two summers ago, my doctor, I had a, a new doctor and um, he was just like, listen, it's back again. We've got to do another stem cell transplant. And I was just like, I just don't, I, I just can't get on board. Um, and so, yeah, I just. Wait, did you just say, he said you were supposed to have a stem cell transplant, but you couldn't get off of work? Okay, I thought, wow, I you are a I, dedicated employee. Uh, uh, okay. No, yeah. no, no. I couldn't get on board. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no. Anybody looking to hire this lady <laughs> will do whatever it takes. I am employed. I okay. have a job. All right, thanks. All right, Thank just you. had to clarify. Um, so, yeah, that, that appointment really shook me because he, he was trying to use a fear tactic of like, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And I was like, listen, I've been told this for the last six years. Like, you're not going to talk me into something that I don't want to do. 
Um, and so then after that appointment, I was just like, I was like sitting in this shop, like Googling like how to cure cancer while, <laughs> while eating like a kale salad. And I'm like, this is gonna work. Um, but I got to like, I just got to the end of myself, you know, where I was just like, this sucks. Like, I, like, am I really supposed to go out like this? Um, and so because of those years of just like isolation, wheelchair bound, bed bound, all the, like I developed this really gritty relationship with the Lord where I was able to be really honest with him, but also he showed his faithfulness in my life time after time after time. Like I could spend hours talking about the way that he showed up in my life. Um, and so I one day was just like, listen, if you want me to stay here, like you've got to provide another way out. Like I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. The next week I got a call for this, um, this doctor in Owasso and, um, I started going to her and my oncologist was like super against it. Um, but I went to her and started doing another route of medicine and um, in three months, I had no further need for treatment. And then in January, I actually had a pretty significant healing moment back there in the corner. Someone prayed over me and I was like on the ground melting. Um, and I just felt like the Lord was just like, this is the beginning of your healing. Um, and then in January of last year, um, she was like, there's no tumor activity in your body. And then, so all last year, I was just like living this dream life of just living like what the Lord wanted me to do. Um, and I had a, a birthday in December and one of my friends wrote me this note that said, it's been an honor to watch you live out the life that we always dreamed that you would have this last year. Um, and so then, uh, yeah, last last month in December as I went back to her and she was like there's still like there's no tumor activity in your body so we're good to go so I've gotten the privilege to be pretty close to this the last couple of years because you've been on staff at Believers doing our uh, media and so but in I remember when you first got that appointment because that you were working with us, right? When they, yeah, and and uh, yeah, just to watch you walk through this has been really powerful. And specifically, when we talk about these issues of desires, you know, like you had to put off some desires. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, the early twenties, like that's not the dream life. Obviously, is being having cancer a million times. Um, and so those were a lot of my desires were gone there, but, um, one of the biggest questions that's kind of been ringing in my head the last couple months has just been like, has the cross been made real to you? Um, and like, yeah, it's been made real to me, um, through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. But if you see Jesus as a prism, He's multifaceted, right? And so whenever you see that face of him, of, of suffering, and you connect with him in that way, you're tethered to him for life. Like, I'm ruined for anything else. I can't do anything else except for know him and be like him and pursue him because it's that gritty, like, saltiness that is just like, I can't, I can't not do this. We'll just let that sit for a second, okay? So the idea, the idea was through the experience of difficulty mm-hmm. that you actually found yourself becoming more convinced that Jesus was the center of your desire. Right, but it's because you have to let suffering transform you. You know, like the, it's really easy to fall into bitterness and it's really easy to fall into hatred. It's really hard to let it transform you into who he wants you to be. And that's where it takes work. And, and so it's just, yeah. So, so that's like the putting off. It's like, okay, I, I, I got to put off what I think my life should be like and look like and like just look at him. Y'all relate to that? 
Like maybe we put off what we thought our life was supposed to be like, but I don't have to have a vision of a life. I have to have Jesus. So let's talk about the putting on then, because we've seen some of this now of things Jesus is surprising you with, and, and even the way you even think about your existing work. I love it. Um, so last, last month when I had that appointment with my doctor, and she was just like, hey, there's still no tumor activity in your body, and we're still just trying to get your body back to a healthy state, um, recovering all the things that were lost. Um, I, once I left that appointment, man, I was fired up. Because I was just like what, like, what are we doing? Like, what is the Lord asking us to do, and why are we not doing it? You know, like, if, if I've lived this year, and I've had mistakes, and I've messed up, but I've also just continually sought the Lord and asked him, what do you want me to do? And I am quick to do it most of the time. And so it's just like this, this, this question of putting on, what is the Lord asking you to do and why are you not doing it? And then start acting. This whole thing of like this new year, new me, it can be like a lot of pressure, right? But like our, our life is a continual journey with the Lord of asking, what do you want me to do? Let me do that. And it's just, that's the best life. <laughs> Any other th- thoughts you had you wanted to share on this? Um, no. So uh, what, what even got me to thinking about inviting Elizabeth um, to share testimony, she's shared before, but um, her last day on staff uh, was a couple weeks ago. And so well, what can we pray for? Because she, she's gotten so many jobs, she had to say, I can't do this too. And, and here's what's fascinating. Her career's kind of taking off right now. And so her prayer was this. She goes, just pray that I'll just be able to do whatever Jesus asked me. And I said, that's hard one. She means that. She, which does, it's, it's not your implicit thing of, as Jesus supports me on my perfect dreams of the way my life should be. It's no, Jesus, whatever you're doing is the best I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got a dream. You know, I know what the Lord wants me to do with my life. And so I'm on a journey. I'm on a, um, a road there. But it's the points in between, you know, where it's just like, what do you want me to do this year? What do you want me to do this month? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do this hour? What about this minute? You know, it's just the daily surrender, continued, you know, intimacy with him. All right. All well, right. thank you, Elizabeth. Let's, okay. Now, I know Elizabeth well enough to know she's fairly direct, and (laughs) what I don't want you to do is walk up and say something to her like, well, I've never experienced anything like you, because she will almost punch you in the face, (laughs) because I did it. (laughs) And she's like, comparing stories is unhelpful. You can't say my pain was worse than yours. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So that's unhelpful. We each have our own journey that's costing each of us. What God knows is going to be challenging. And what he also knows, he needs to rescue us out of deceitful desires that actually lead to futility and death instead of the desire for Jesus, who then gives us good works that we live out at his bidding. So so, um, feel free to encourage Elizabeth, but just know that comparisons are no help. Comparison's no help. And she has such authority to say that um, because she's walked it and known. I, I'm not, she's not asking us to pity her. She's just saying, look what Jesus did. What's Jesus doing in you? And are you going to do it? Who do I really want? I want Jesus. I believe I want Jesus because he satisfies the human heart. And he can satisfy. He has eternally satisfied the Father's heart. The one who made heart. So how do I live this out? I put off these old desires and put on new. I put off 
Whatever those desires may have been that, that were just, they're, they're even good. They're okay. There's nothing wrong with it. That, but it might be, I'm going to be married by this date. <laughs> or I'm going to be married at all. I don't know. Because what I've realized in my journey with Jesus is all desires are eligible to be put off. Even good ones. You're like, man, I'm really skilled at this. I should be doing this. Can you believe that Jesus loves you so much and knows you so much better and has such better plans that he wants you to live a life sustained by the one thing that never changes, which is him, that we can just learn to follow him? You've heard my journey of all the absurd jobs I've worked. I mean, like, I used to hate to make phone calls. So then God gave me for six years the job of calling people, cold calling people. Six years. God, you hate me. God, you've forgotten me forever. And then when I end up, yeah, Chris, brothers, two of the worst salesmen ever known. Right here. Chris is now a, a, a therapist. He's, but... The thing is, you know, it's funny is like as a pastor, you know what I have to do a lot? I have to make phone calls to people that are hard. And I've, I've done for much worse things than this. I get to talk about Jesus, you know. Uh, it, Jesus knows what we need. And he knows we need to not be worshiping even good desires. But to let anything and everything go. So many of us, I said this last week, but it's true. So many of us can confuse letting go of desires with failure. And here's the deal. Here's the glory of the gospel. We're all failures. We're all failures. We're all going to hell without Jesus. We are failures. We start at failure. And it's through the mercy and kindness of Jesus that he gives us identity. He gives us hope and a future. So no need to be afraid of failure. That's where I'm starting, man. And if somebody else's perception is of that, it's just because they haven't met Jesus as deeply as you have. Other people's assessments don't matter. Culture's assessments don't matter. None of us knows what we're talking about. Chris has this beautiful shirt that says, we're all wrong. I'm going to proclaim this where we go. I'm wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) All desires are eligible to put off. And and we get to put on Christ. Paul talks about being in Christ, in his identity, that all the inheritance that is his, all the, 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 the showering of the Father's love is ours as we're in Jesus. Here's the good news, or maybe not. This is a lifelong process. You know, you say, okay, got him off. Let's go, Jesus. A lifelong process of letting things go so that we can, in its place, receive the life that God wants for us. And often I'm confused by the journey I'm on. But the more I get to know the person Jesus, the less I'm worried about it. You thought, that makes sense? That's why it's, we, we, even a good life, we, a vision of a good life isn't enough to make it through life. It's got to be the one who gives us life. Make sense? Okay, let's stand together. Another thing I might say is that the putting off and putting on, they happen often at the same time. What I'm saying is you might be putting off certain desires, putting on new different ones in a different thing. And there's, it's not like a linear thing. So I, you follow me on that? Because you might know some stuff is dying in me right now. Jesus, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live. I've been crucified with Christ. Crucified like, is, is like fully dead. But it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we don't have to be afraid of death because it's the way to life. So Lord, we ask for help right now. 
or wherever each of us is at. Lord, I know it's all over the map in here. Some of us are just facing things down. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. Why is this happening? Jesus, will you appear to us? And in the face of Jesus, show us the glory of God that we can know we can trust you, that you have good intentions for us. You know what's best. And we can let go of things. And we can trust you because you will not fail us. You might not do exactly what you, we want you to do. But it's because you know something even better. Help us, Lord. We confess our distrust. Lord, where I feel my fear and anxiety about losing stuff, I confess, you know, I just don't really trust that you love me that much. I don't trust you're going to take care of me. And will you forgive me? Thanks. And then, Jesus, will you, will you just help us put on you to see that we're nestled up in you. We're in Christ. That the future that you have, Jesus, is our future. It's that solid because the future of Jesus is my future, which is resurrection, life in the kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. If you agree with that, can you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's finish by being sent out into the world. If you're new to believers, we have something called an oikos map. Oikos is the Greek word for household. It's this idea of what's, what's the sphere of relationships in your life of people who are far from God. People who, guys, we, we don't even realize the level of hope we have in our bones just because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Right? Things happen to us that are hard, but we still have the Holy Spirit in us to help us know there's hope. There are many people who literally have no resources for hope. No reason. Then you wonder why traffic's so crazy. There's no reasons for hope. I'm angry. I'm afraid. We get to make the invitation and by prayer draw people in to the same hope we get to enjoy every day. So let's bring to mind those people, maybe some faces. I'm bringing to mind that, that I saw the guy's faces driving the car in my neighborhood yesterday. Jesus, I don't know what he's doing, but he needs your hope. So let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Come on, guys. Let's go out and do it. Love you. Have a great week.